1: Welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind. Your host, Nora Gedgaudis, is here to take you on a fun-filled and informational journey through the mind and your body with a focus on neurofeedback and healthy nutrition and what it can do for you, your family, and friends. Now here's your host, Nora Gedgaudis.
2: Well, hello there. Good morning from beautiful Portland, Oregon, and welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. Well, today we're going to be covering two very different topics on this show And in the first half hour, we're going to be talking about the subject of grains. Are they really the health food everyone seemingly would have you believe? And we'll also look a lot more closely at the subject of gluten, the protein contained in grains and in many grains, and and why this might be affecting your health and or the health of someone you love far more than you know. We'll be welcoming naturopath, naturopathic doctor, Dr. Daniel Chong, to share on this topic with us. As a doctor who's looked into this subject, sees the effect on his patients and has chosen a gluten- and grain-free life for himself and his family, including uh, a couple of small kids, he has a lot to say that we can all benefit from. Daniel is great. But also in the second half of the show today, we'll be discovering one of the most interesting and esoteric areas, uh, discussing one of the most interesting and esoteric areas in the field of neurofeedback, something called alpha-theta training. Joining us for that will be Professor Julian Isaacs. He's an educator, researcher, and a neurofeedback clinical expert who has specialized in alpha-theta work. And he's going to be helping us today to unravel its really fascinating mysteries. But first, are grains really the health food that they're cracked up to be? After all, the food pyramid tells us that we're all supposed to eat 8 to 11 servings a day of grains and and actually have them at the very base of the pyramid – So the government seems to think that grains are actually foundational to our health. Well, at least the U.S. Department of Agriculture does anyway. But is that really true? What's the evidence? Well, to start with, let's look at this from a common sense perspective, shall we? Remember that thing called common sense, that lost art? Well, let's take a walk back down memory lane to about 2.6 million years ago and look at that entire span of time. What did our diets look like for nearly that full time? And when did grains really enter the actual picture? Well, if you want to consider it from the perspective of, say, using a whole yardstick to measure with, the entire span of that yardstick right up to the last few millimeters would have human beings living basically 100% as hunter-gatherers. And only in the last few millimeters would you have humans eating any significant amount of grains at all. Now that agri- the agricultural revolution it really only took place about ten thousand years ago in ancient Samaria, which is a drop in the bucket in the span of, of of human history and it really didn't sweep over the rest of Europe until about two thousand years ago. Again, you know geneticists tend to agree that it takes anywhere from forty to hundred thousand years for human genetics to really catch up to a major change so even where human cultures were, you know, that, that, I mean, that isn't really enough time for us to have fully adapted to grains as a major source of food for us. And even, even where human cultures were adopting agriculture as a necessity back then, humans still ate as many animal source foods as they could, as they could possibly get their hands on. Agriculture became a necessity for us. When many of the large animals we hunted, the megafauna, like the woolly mammoths for instance, they died out at the end of the last ice age. We had to do something or starve. So we figured out that we could cultivate this comparatively inferior food and that it could keep us alive. But we've paid a real price for that. Humans literally became less healthy. We see this in the burial remains, you know, the evidence in the burial remains of many of our post-agricultural ancestors And we've been able to compare this with the bones and skulls of our pre-agricultural ancestors. We've also been able to compare the health of more modern-day hunter-gatherers with the health of more agrarian cultures. The differences are pronounced and even astonishing. Following the adoption of grains as a significant food source, we became shorter. Humans became shorter, and our bones became less dense. Our teeth developed more problems We had many more birth defects, much more malnutrition and degenerative disease. People developed things like rickets, osteoporosis, mineral deficiencies of all kinds. We developed scurvy, beriberi, pellagra, vitamin A deficiencies, omega-3 deficiencies, anemias, tooth decay, skeletal abnormalities, and maloccluded dental arches. We got more infectious diseases, more infant mortality, and a shorter lifespan all following the adoption of grains. We even had a reduction in the size of our brain. Now, here's a short list, just for the heck of it, of some of the problems that have been clearly associated with grain consumption, okay? Allergies, food sensitivities, autoimmune disorders, colon cancer, pancreatic disorders, mineral deficiencies, celiac disease, epilepsy, dementia, degenerative brain and central nervous system diseases, certain kinds of neuropathies, Myopathies, as well as things like autism and schizophrenia. We also had to start working a whole lot harder after we began farming. Hunter-gatherer societies, they had a typical workday of maybe three or four hours. You hunt, you gather, and you're done. Compare this with all the backbreaking labor and for eight plus hours in a day out in the fields once we adopted a farming way of life. It may have made what we refer to as so-called civilization possible, but it hasn't exactly created a better quality of life or, in some ways, better health for human beings. And our modern-day dependence on grains has been our greatest source of population explosion and damage to the environment. Monoculture agriculture, now that dependence on only two or three crops for the vast majority of the food produced in this world, has made a small handful of corporate interests unreasonably powerful in ways that are ruthlessly decimating cultures, rainforests, and food diversity the world over, to say nothing of the amount of fossil fuel that it takes to farm these foods. Agriculture has led to the greatest greed and the greatest corporate power the world has ever known. But of course we're here to talk about health. I don't mean to get too far off track with that, but it's, it's stuff that's, I think, important to consider. The media and other public authorities would have us believe that grains... Should be the foundation of everybody's diet. The term healthy whole grains just sort of rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? But are grains really made? What are grains really made up of? You know, what do they do for us? Well, grains are mainly made up of starch. Although they contain a smattering of nutrients and some protein, they're mainly a starch-based food. The fiber contained in grains and legumes, uh, legumes like beans and soybeans and peanuts. Are also a really rich source of something called phytic acid. Now, phytic acid can bind minerals and and make them extremely difficult to absorb. In fact, phytic acid can even draw minerals out of your body and deplete you of the minerals you have. So, given the fact that our modern day soils are so depleted of minerals today, thanks again to modern day agricultural practices, this is not particularly helpful to us. Well, grains and legumes also contain something. As if all of this weren't bad enough called goitrogens. Now, goitrogens are a substance that disrupt thyroid hormones. And even though grains contain some protein, one particularly prevalent protein in grains has been known to cause us some very, very serious problems, gluten. Well, here today, we have with us a naturopathic doctor who has a lot to say about this whole subject. Dr. Daniel Chong is a licensed naturopathic physician in Portland, Oregon. He treats people of all ages with a wide variety of ailments. His passion is to contribute, or rather to combine what he calls treating patients the old-fashioned way with cutting advancements, cutting-edge advancements in functional diagnosis, nutritional, and herbal medicine. For the past few years, Dr. Chong has been researching and utilizing primal eating as a primary component in his patient's treatment plans. You gotta love that. finding it to be one of the most powerful tools available to help his patients heal regardless of their condition. I am very pleased and honored to welcome Dr. Daniel Chong to the show. Welcome, Daniel.
3: Thank you, Nora. Ah,
2: Yeah, You're welcome. It's
3: good to be here. Pardon me? It's good to be here.
2: Yeah, it's wonderful uh, to have you here. I think you've got a really uh, wonderfully valuable perspective to share with us about this and I guess it's it's pretty safe to say that that grains might not be, you know, the health food everybody makes them out to be, right?
3: Um not in my estimation. I mean, I I actually honestly would prefer to just sit and listen to you talk because uh <laughs> I thought you I thought you did a, a pretty um perfect uh, job there of summarizing in what was that about 5 minutes pretty much uh all the beliefs that I've built up over the last Probably six or seven years now of, of studying this topic and and um you know so so yeah I, I definitely would uh would agree with you on on many fronts and everything you basically just said
2: well, and as a naturopath too um you know as a doctor you know you're dealing with people's health problems all day long, and so you get to see you know the effects of of this sort of a thing um Uh, every single day
3: yeah absolutely it's it it never it never ceases to amaze me really I mean um, you know from a couple different perspectives I mean one of them was that this is my now my ninth year in practice and um, when I went through naturopathic school I did not learn any of the things that you just summarized yeah um, which is which is a tragedy, in my opinion. I, I basically had to learn these things myself. And, and the first, uh, while I was a student trying to uh, learn how to uh, treat people and even uh, after graduating for a, a short period of time before I discovered this information, I was, um, you know, stuck using this this more standard recommendations that, that I had learned in school about, quote-unquote, good nutrition. Right. And... Um, you know, working with people on food allergies, which is important. But but what I found and realized after some time is, is, people if they focused on food allergies and then other than that, just tried to eat a healthy whole foods diet based on the the USDA food pyramid, they didn't do so hot. And um, so I started uh you know investigating other other aspects of nutrition, and and more than anything, um, followed my own nose and common sense and when you do that i don't think you can go anywhere but where you've gone with your book and that sort of thing which is you know looking at what human beings were designed to eat so that's, yeah. that's where i got to with all of that
2: yeah i was i was curious as to what brought you to that place of recognizing that grains were you know the the possible problem
3: well yeah really i mean literally it was it, i didn't know that until and it was more originally about what I mentioned, just sort of starting to learn about this idea of you know what human beings are are meant to eat. And the first uh, the first major source of information I came upon for all of that was was Weston Price and the Weston Price Foundation, who I know you mentioned in your book quite a bit. Um, in his research, which doesn't necessarily promote a purely primal diet, but but um, uh, they go into a lot of that, and from there, I, I further, you know, discovered more and more information, and eventually came upon a, a more paleo diet or primal diet description in various books and things like that, and and realized, you know, from that information, what sort of an impact I was having on my own health and, and the health of my patients with uh, with grain consumption, especially.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well um I want to invite everybody to to stick around we need to go to a break here uh for just a couple of minutes and uh, we have Dr. Daniel Chong here uh to talk with us today about grains and gluten and the impact that it may be having on your health so please stick around we'll be right back in just a minute this is primal body primal mind radio I'm Nora Gaudus
4: opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness
1: nbc science consultant dr mark steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention such is the case with primal body primal mind written by Nora get Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, if you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgoudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com.
5: Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com.
0: Are you looking for a new perspective in today's challenging economic and personal times? Join the journey to your personal best on the Sky's the Limit radio program, featuring your hosts, Karen Lovett, Jackie Lawney, and John McDermott. The engaging discussion will center on concrete ideas and actions to help improve your personal wealth, love, appreciation. Power, choice, relationships, and more. Karen, Jackie, and John will guide you to your true power of choice on the sky's the limit, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Seventh Wave Network.
4: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: are tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora.
2: Well, welcome back to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. And we're here today with Dr. Daniel Chong, who's a naturopathic physician in the Portland, Oregon area. Um, and we're talking about... Uh, you know grains and gluten, and, and why these things are not necessarily a health food for us. And um, you know, when we were when we left off, uh, we we were talking a little bit about this, and and I was remembering that the, this article I, I recently came across uh, that suggested that the evidence seems to be that gluten-related problems are really on the rise, and they may even be four times more common than they were even 50 years ago. Um, I, I know that one study out of the University of Chicago um, Celiac Disease Center, they estimated that one out of every 133 otherwise healthy people in the U.S. suffers from celiac disease, but some other studies will estimate this number to be more like one in 33. I mean, can you ex- help explain to the audience just what celiac disease is and why they might want to pay attention to the possibility of it? Well,
3: um, celiac disease, Really, in my, in my uh, view is the, the sort of utmost expression of, of gluten sensitivity. But what, you know, what some people make the mistake of believing is that if they don't have diagnosed celiac disease, then gluten is fine for them. But really the way I look at it is if, if you don't have diagnosed celiac disease, that doesn't mean anything. I tell my people all the time, or my patients all the time, that you know, in my opinion, we all have a varying degree of gluten sensitivity, and that's mostly because um, it's simply, in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of other people who have reached this, uh, researched this uh, to the umpteenth degree, that that it's just not a food that we're really designed to consume.
2: Yeah, boy, I. Sh- I- so totally, uh, totally agree with you. I think one of the other issues too is that people say, oh yeah, well, I know I'm, I'm, I'm gluten sensitive, but you know, I, I really, I try to avoid it most of the time. You know, you get that where people <laughs> yeah, say, yeah. well yeah, I, I mostly don't eat it, just, you know, a little bit, but you know, I eat a lot less than I used to. And of course, what people don't realize is that when you're sensitive to this stuff, it's an all or nothing proposition.
3: Uh, absolutely. And that, that's become even more evident to me recently with some of the, the, um forms of uh testing and diagnostic procedures I use in my office i'm able to to um, uncover how irritating it is to a person and i i can't tell you how many times i've uh tested people and you know they say exactly what you said yeah i try and mostly re- reduce it but I don't fully avoid it and it still shows up as a very strong irritant for these people. So, and then, and even beyond that, if I can actually, and it doesn't work every day, if I can actually convince somebody to, to remove it entirely from their, their diets, even if it's been just a small amount, they, they, you know, across the board in some way, shape or form will feel better.
2: Yep. Well, and uh, my understanding too is that just a single dose of gluten can it can be enough to set up an inflammatory response that that literally can take months to correct.
3: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I can give you an example of just a patient I saw recently who um, is is ex- pretty exquisitely sensitive to gluten, and, and literally, she once she discovered this and stopped eating it, she lost I think it was twenty pounds over the course of two weeks. Wow. She, she was able to stop her um, anti depression medication. But the most amazing thing was once she had gotten into the groove, so to speak, and had been avoiding gluten for some time, she happened to go to a restaurant and uh, order. She was starving, so she ordered what they had, and they had sandwiches. So she ordered a sandwich, took the bread off, and threw that away, and basically just ate the insides. Yeah. And. She was sick for two days after that
2: because there was some residue on the food that it's she ate. right?
3: A few crumbs. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And and again, I would consider that on the far farther end of the spectrum in terms of how sensitive you can be. But but it should show people at least how powerful um, the effect can be.
2: Right. And, and one of the examples I had talked about too was um, when we were on break. Uh, I work sometimes with parents of autistic kids and. Um, when it comes to something like autism which is a basically an autoimmune brain disorder my assumption is that gluten and casein are a problem and it's just i just sort of automatically assume it now sometimes i get parents to test uh for that with Entero Lab just to just to see the confirmation for themselves but yeah but it's an assumption and All too often, I'll have a parent say, "Oh, well, we tried that. You know, we tried eliminating gluten, and we did it for a whole year, and it just didn't help." And the thing that's kind of hard to to drive home at that point is that even if gluten didn't removing gluten didn't fix the problem, it's one more obstacle you've removed from from uh, from the possibility of, of healing. In other words, it's you've removed a complication um and and by taking gluten out that's it's one less thing in the way of being able to um, you know to find some sort of resolution to the problem
6: yeah,
3: absolutely, and I, I talk to my patients all the time, really you know, regarding a variety of different conditions, actually, but certainly autism would be included in there about this idea of if you imagine that your body has a garbage can in it and it, and it can it can really only hold so much garbage, and if you're trying to, or if you, you if you come down with a chronic condition of some sort or another, in one way, shape, or form, that can mean that your garbage is full and/or even overflowing. So, one of the crucial steps to overcoming whatever a person is dealing with, whether it be autism or or um, any other number of different chronic conditions, is to try and remove as much garbage as you can from your system, and. In my opinion, gluten is garbage for everybody. And it sounds pretty strong. And I wouldn't, I didn't used to have that strong of an opinion until I saw how people recovered when they, when they would remove it from their diet. But, but going to the, to the example you gave about people who have removed gluten from their diet for a year or whatever and it didn't seem to help, that obviously also speaks to the complexity of the, of the condition and how, you know, there's, there's another, a number of other things to consider and, you know honestly in my opinion your book does a really good job of of going into a lot of these other things cuz this is unfortunately just scratching the surface of the topic of diet and and you know nutrition and what we can do to you know fully optimize our
7: health
2: and yeah so, I, I i agree with you it's just you know the tip of the iceberg i for sure yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of people get just totally freaked out at the prospect of eliminating grains from their diet. I mean, this means no bread, no pasta, no crackers, and yeah. Yeah. where gluten is concerned, not a whole lot of you know, you know, a whole lot of other things, including processed foods and, and a lot of condiments. So yes. you know, as as a yeah. as a parent, you know, of of kids, you know, I mean, I know that you avoid grains and gluten yourself, and and you've got kids. Who are living a gluten-free life? So, I mean, as Dr. Phil would put it, how's that working for you? <laughs> uh, it,
3: I, I cannot say it's been easy. So, you know, I, I'm I am really able to emphasize emphasize with, uh, or empathize with my with my patients a lot of the times, especially people who bring their kids in to see me uh, when it comes to changing pe- changing their kids' diet. Um, it's been a major challenge, and uh, you know, a lot of the work. That I've done as a parent is involving is involving diet, but I can say you know without a doubt it's been extremely helpful. One of my my older son um, had some very very noticeable changes when we mo- removed both gluten and and casein from his diet, and he's such a picky eater we're, we haven't quite been able to fully get to the point of a grain free diet with him. But we I try it on most days of the week, and I, I do tend to notice. An improvement in his mood and his, uh, you know, overall quote unquote excitability, you might call it. Um, yes, yeah. When we, when we go through a day where he's eating more fats, more protein, um, things like that. So it's, it's a challenge, but, but I've definitely figured out ways to, to, uh, to help make it happen. And, and if somebody makes the decision to do so, it is, hundred percent possible there's so many resources out there now, even for not just a gluten-free diet, but for a grain-free diet, which again I, I believe is superior to just a gluten-free diet. I,
2: I totally agree with you, yeah because I mean, gluten sort of become the fall guy for the whole grain thing, but really grains in general are I mean they're basically all starch-based foods.
3: absolutely and and that goes actually back to that idea that you were talking about these a parent a not, a parent of an autistic child who's tried a gluten-free diet I've seen it so many times that I actually saw this a lot when I was in school. When we focused so much on food allergies and less on what our bodies were designed to eat, is these people would eat these gluten-free diets and they'd be eating gluten-free cookies, gluten-free bread, gluten-free pasta yep. for the majority of their diet, and, and not understanding why they still had diabetes or why they still had digestive problems or whatever. And the or
2: hyperactivity, is, or you know, yeah, or yeah. You know, excitability, as you call it.
3: Exactly. So while most people don't want to hear it and most people will, you know, fight me at least for a little bit, you know, grain-free is definitely the way to go. and, And that's, you know, again, one of the reasons why I was so excited to see your book come out because I think, you know, there's a lot of books out there now about the paleo diet or the primal diet, but I still, unfortunately, think they... Most of them get at least part of it wrong, and I think most of a lot of that has to do with um information on fat consumption, which is obviously another topic in and of itself,
2: but right, right people are so influenced by that conventional thinking,
3: yeah yeah, and your you know your book does such an excellent job of talking about that side of it too, and you know i I can say without a doubt I'm not getting any uh any cut of the profit on your book? No, <laughs> that's not why I'm, and I'm thinking not about not sending you a I'm check. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not why I'm talking about it. But it is one of the only books I've seen that that really goes into you know and hits all the the main the main things to think about. Not just this uh, gluten versus non-gluten versus grain topic, but, but pretty much everything. So, yeah.
2: wow, thank you so much. Uh, that's uh, very very flattered. What's your best advice as a doctor concerning the dietary gluten and grains? I mean, what's your best advice as a parent wanting to eliminate these foods from your family's diet?
3: Well, I would say first and foremost, you have to make a decision. You have to decide that you're going to you're going to do what it takes to get your child healthy or yourself. um,
2: I guess set your priorities. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Versus, okay, I'll do it if it's not that hard because you know this this sort of this way of eating i i'm not going to you know beat around the bush it takes a commitment and it takes um effort and so i talk to people all the time you know if you're not ready don't don't quite don't try and go go for it if you're not ready cuz you're only going to be disappointed and you may give up so i would say first and foremost you have to make the decision and and also trust in in the the idea that this is going to help because that obviously makes the decision easier and 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 so the second uh, step I tell people to tr- start working on is if they if they decide they're going to make a change then the next step is to educate yourself and to, and so the point being is I don't see people respond very well in terms of changing their diet or their lifestyle if I just tell them what to do I, these most people need to understand why not just what right so you know again one more time going back to something like your book for example it just does a great job of explaining the why behind behind things so so i'm getting my patients you know i consider one of my primary jo- jobs uh, or roles as a doctor to is to point my patients in the right direction and to help them get educated to, so they understand what it is that they're doing and once people really start getting into it and you read about it and you you have any amount of common sense. It's very hard to, to, to argue after that. And then it becomes much easier. And then when it comes to, you know, deciding, okay, how am I going to do it? It's so much easier when you know this is what I want to do. This is why. Now what do I do? And then, and then from that point, there's
2: yeah.
3: a million resources. There are literally, um, entire cookbooks devoted to this whole way of eating. And you can pretty much eat everything and anything that that you would want to a certain extent, um, and, yep. and still be following these rules. So yeah, that's true. Is, well,
2: well, Daniel, um, I wish we had all day to talk about this. Um, yeah. I mean, it's Thank been you. such a privilege having you here on the show, and, and you have such a valuable perspective. And this really yeah. is a bit of a controversial and confusing topic for a lot of people, and you bring some real insight and value to the subject. I'm sure yeah. I'm grateful for your time and expertise, and and hope that maybe to have you on again sometime. It would be I great to be able to continue this discussion. So, Sure,
3: I would be, I would be happy to, to do that.
2: That so would be wonderful. I'm
3: passionate about it,
2: too. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, well, when we come back, we're going to be switching gears and talking about a fascinating form of neurofeedback work known as Alpha Theta Training. We'll be welcoming Dr. Julian Isaacs to the show to talk about his research and background with this amazing and even spiritual deep state work. You will not want to miss it. Please stay tuned, this is Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, and we'll be back in just a minute.
4: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora getgautis Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host says, if you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com.
5: Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com
7: interstate sportsman talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the voice america network with hunting and fishing info news talking about everything from new sporting gear places to hunt and fish and getting more from your recreation time join host brock ray and don kirk friday mornings at 6 a.m pacific time 9 eastern for the interstate sportsman on the voice america channel
4: your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
1: You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora.
2: Well, welcome back to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. Well, we're shifting gears pretty radically now to talk about the subconscious mind. How's that for a little whiplash? Well, most neurofeedback done that that many of us do is a form of neurofeedback referred to as what we call awake state training, which is focused on brain training in an awake and alert state to help impact the brain's self-regulatory mechanisms and and help people feel and focus better. But there's a whole other realm of neurofeedback work done by many of us that involves brain training in a much more relaxed and deep state with your eyes closed and you're listening to nature sounds like uh, trickling water and crashing waves and bings and Tibetan gongs, they are all sounds designed um, that are actually feedback sounds that are designed to enhance the access to the deepest parts of our our brain. Well, alpha-theta work is a form of neurofeedback designed to get directly at the subconscious workings of the mind. It has the ability to access deep material in the mind Old events and symbolic imagery, um, a greater sense of self, deep relaxation, sometimes profound insight or, or even resolution to complex unconscious material. Uh, people use Alpha Theta training, too, for, for peak performance and deep creativity. It's been used for recovering from things like post-traumatic stress disorder, a subject that uh, we'll be hopefully exploring on an up- upcoming show. Or Chemical dependency recovery, which is yet another topic we'll be covering in another upcoming show, and peak performance work, which is a subject we talked about on this show just last week. Well, Dr. Julian Isaacs comes to us originally from England, where he earned his doctorate in psychology. He moved from there, clear over here to the States and the Bay Area of San Francisco, where he was appointed to the teaching faculty as a director of the research laboratory in the School of Consciousness Studies at John F. Kennedy University. There he worked as a research consultant and also specialized in the development of alpha-theta brainwave training. And back in 1994, Julian trained with Dr. Siegfried and Susan Offmer, both uh, guests on this show in the past, uh, in clinical neurofeedback, and he's been in private practice as a neurofeedback practitioner in Marin County ever since. Now, Julian has treated a wide variety of neurological and psychiatric disorders successfully with neurofeedback, and Julian has also worked as a consultant and an advisor for various Ph.D. dissertation research projects investigating the use of neurofeedback for remedial and peak performance applications. He's currently pursuing various research projects and we are lucky to get him to slow down enough to be with us here today. So welcome, Julian. It's It's been a long time since we've had the chance to chat and I can see why. <laughs>
6: Yes, I have been very busy, that's for sure. Uh, no I kidding. Remember, so, I remember you as a much younger person when we were both quite a bit younger than we are now.
2: At, well, speak for yourself, some, dude. <laughs>
6: <laughs> attending <laughs> some of those early conferences on neurofeedback. Oh, I
2: know. Those, those were I, kind of the good old days in, in a lot of ways. But you actually authored one of the earliest uh, Alpha Theta training manuals I ever had in, in my early days, of uh, you know, in the covered wagon days of getting started with this work. I mean, I must say, I've always felt that you had a uniquely interesting perspective on this type of training.
6: Well, I've always found Alpha Theta very fascinating because really it relates to a whole different domain of uh, being than conventional neurofeedback in the conscious state, and It's getting people into states which have been used in all sorts of different domains in the domain of spirituality and various different religions, in mysticism, and also even in some cases uh, for people for psychic functioning. And I actually found it when I was working for uh, a boss who had a sort of dream research project for me, which was go out and find the hitherto unused but very powerful transformative um, modalities, and let's put this into a series of mind spars across America called The Other 90%. And that never actually happened, but for three years I, get, I got to investigate these weird and wonderful various different things in different degrees of craziness, from very sensible to pretty crazy, and in the end came across Tom Budzinski's Twilight Training, which was a very early prototype for our data training, This was before all the classic papers in the use of Alpha Theta for remediating alcoholism had actually come out, and then got very interested in it, wound up doing neurofeedback in my own private practice with Alpha Theta, but also was doing workshops at Esalen and Asilomar, where I built a system where we could run 12 people at once simultaneously with individual feedback for each person. Wow. And so we ran groups of 24 where half of the group would be processing their previous session and the other half would be having a new session with the system. And that was a very powerful and amazing experience and doing group alpha theta feedback in that way is something that I may be going back into maybe using a slightly different technology.
2: Oh, and that would be a really, really fascinating because I know that there are effects when you synchronize the number of brains, put them in a similar state at the same time. There can be some very interesting effects from that.
6: That's true. And, and as of the operator, we had a sort of a crew of operators who were running the uh, six computers that we were using. And it was very strange because it felt as if the group was this huge 747, which in the early phases of the uh, training would sort of rumble down the... Uh, down the uh, takeoff path, but not actually get off. And then, when they actually learned how to get into the state, it felt like this huge seven four seven taking off and cruising the alpha theta boundary in these different brain states.
2: Wow, wow! 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 It was
6: a very powerful experience.
2: Well, how about enlightening our listeners about exactly what the alpha theta state is and, and why training in the state can be so uniquely valuable?
6: Well. What's interesting is that pretty well everybody has been in an alpha-theta state, because it's the par- part of the spectrum of different conscious and relatively less conscious states that we go through when we fall asleep. So as we fall asleep, as we relax, we close our eyes, and for most people, when they close their eyes, they start producing a brainwave, which is called alpha. And alpha was named by the Brits because they were sort of Greek scholars in those days, and... Alpha was the number one brain wave because it's always the biggest brain wave in somebody's um, head usually. and so idling rhythm. That's right, and it's the idling, resting rhythm of the brain. And alpha, when you're fully awake, should be around 10 cycles a second, and it's bigger at the back of the head than the front. And so you start producing the alpha brain wave, and then as you get more relaxed, the alpha slows down, so it goes from 10 down to nine and maybe even eight. And then something really interesting and different happens, which is that you get periods where the alpha brain waves go down in amplitude and the theta brain waves, which are from the limbic system and the more so-called primitive parts of the brain, gets much bigger. And so you go through a state which is called the alpha-theta crossover. It's called the crossover because the alpha gets small and the theta gets bigger than the alpha. So you cross from alpha to theta. And that's the magic part because... In the Theta state, people are in direct contact with their subconscious minds, and as a result, they can actually either carry out transactions where they're putting suggestions or ideas into their unconscious or subconscious minds, or they're gaining access to that level of their being. So it's being used for psychic training, for spiritual training, for various forms of meditation involve that as well. And not everybody is fully conscious in that state. Sometimes people do something that's called clicking out in the Monroe training program, or it's got various different terms. It's basically where you just blank out. It's almost like when you've had a big lunch, you go back to the office, you're sitting in the chair, you start dozing, and your consciousness clicks in and out. And that's a magic period of time which in normal circumstances we slide through that area of our sort of conscious functioning very quickly to go into the deeper layers of sleep. What you do with alpha-theta training is to provide auditory feedback which guides the person to keep clicking in and out instead of plunging down into that deeper state. And although the person may be unconscious, there's something going on because in that state, if you ask them to open their eyes or do something, they will come to and do it they're not really asleep, even though they may be partially unconscious. And for some people, that state can be fully conscious, although very altered from the normal state. And because of its relationship between the conscious and the subconscious minds, it's then possible for your conscious mind to actually obtain wisdom, advice, or even very different perspectives from the unconscious, which is why it's used for psychotherapy.
2: Right, right. Well, this is that's such a succinct and beautiful way uh, to introduce that that whole uh, subject. And what we need to do right now is go to a quick break. And so when we come back, we'll be talking more with Dr. Julian Isaacs about his work with Alpha Theta and what, um, why it could be an extremely helpful tool for so many things. I'm Noragid Gaudis. This is Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, and we'll be back in just a minute.
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Getgautis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host says, if you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Edgoudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com.
0: Best.
7: Is there truly a lesson in every situation? Can you learn from another person's experiences or are lessons learned when they only happen to you? Dave Pelzer, number one national and number one international best-selling author, challenges listeners to stand tall, to be accountable no matter what the setbacks, and to recommit to enhancing their lives as well as assisting others around them. Listen to The Dave Pelzer Show every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Radio Network.
1: You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora.
2: Welcome back to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, and I'm Nora and. We have with us today Dr. Julian Isaacs to talk about this fascinating facet of neurofeedback training called Alpha Theta Training, which basically gives us direct access to all the workings of the subconscious mind and it can have a really profound effect, not just therapeutically, but, but also just simply on the psyche and, and on the, uh, sort of the evolution, I think, of our own consciousness. It's, it's certainly among the most esoteric work that we do in this field. But I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, Julian, what, what areas surrounding alpha-theta work have you had the most experience working with, and what has been some of the most uh, fascinating aspects of this work for you?
6: Um, one of the areas that I've explored extensively is working with people who themselves are healers of various sorts or psychics of various sorts, and doing group alpha-theta or individual alpha-theta with them, and that's usually really worthwhile because these people are already sophisticated in terms of understanding um, altered states. And so they can utilize Alpha Theta really amazingly well. And we had in some of our workshops, people who were having extraordinary experiences, which normally wouldn't be accessible to people um, unless they'd meditated for many, many years. And this is a very interesting um, possibility. It's It's a research uh, interest of mine because I'm looking at the moment of concentrative meditation and seeing if we can use neurofeedback to improve people's ability to do the jhana meditations of the Hinayana school of Buddhism. But that's rather exotic. Yeah. To come back into more well-known territory, the two things that Alpha Theta are really wonderful for are dealing with pain and also dealing with anxiety. Mm-hmm. although there are also other neurofeedback approaches. We were talking in the break about the slow frequency neurofeedback. Right. I used it with the Signet system, and that's very wonderful for anxiety. That was developed uh, by the authors. Yes, yes. that's right, yeah. Um, but the other, the other use of alpha-theta can be in working with people with PTSD. If you've had a traumatic background history, then alpha-theta is very wonderful because what it does is it allows you to really free yourself experientially in session from the terror and the fear associated with traumatic experiences and to be able to actually reconstrue what the meaning of that experience is and therefore to actually recover from it. And this is one of the earliest uses of it. The very earliest was for alcoholism. Then it was for PTSD in alcoholic vets and it's been used for PTSD ever since, and that's very powerful. For ordinary people who just want to play, Alpha Theta can be a very interesting way of exploring their own consciousness and uh, accessing more depth in terms of understanding the meaning of their lives, finding out what they actually want to do with themselves and what their life is about. And it can also, as you've mentioned already, be used for peak performance and so yep. there was a british study of the use of peak of alpha theta uh, by musicians and they found that the alpha theta group really did improve their musical skills much better than the control group when they compared the two after the uh, treatment of, with the Alpha Theta.
2: Yeah, I, I had a friend who was a, a musician who uh, used to come and, and, and especially request Alpha Theta sessions, partly because she found it so creatively enhancing, but also because she found it consistently gave her these wonderful celebrity dreams. <laughs> <laughs> <That's great. laughs> she didn't seem to get any other way. So uh,
6: I'd, I'd never thought of advertising as producing celebrity dreams, but I think but that's there you a go. good idea. But <laughs> the point you make is really valid in the sense that a lot of our creativity comes from our subconscious mind. And right. Therefore, if we can tap into it, it will suggest ways of getting into those states. And one of the more fun and light-hearted things um, that I'd like to comment on is that recently I had a friend who got this very interesting book, which was really written for witches about how to get into fairyland and talk to the fairies and such like, and I was reading it for amusement, and what I realized was that, in fact, a lot of what was being suggested was the utilization of Alpha Theta for imaginative play at some levels, for the entering the imaginal world, and maybe people with psychic ability could meet fairies or whatever. I don't want to comment on the reality or not of of the wee people, but... um, It's very interesting that you find this state cropping up in all sorts of different anthropological contexts as well.
2: Yeah, it just, it has, there's just so much rich, uh, richness to this whole realm of the subconscious work. I mean, I remember, uh, reading your Alpha Theta Manual and, and I've since noticed this kind of thing, um, since then. Where you related a story concerning the sort of synchronous connection that sometimes experienced between the neurofeedback practitioner and the client in yeah. the chair, yeah. um, you know, perhaps in no other neurofeedback work, you know, is, is this is there more influence by the state of the practitioner during the course of the session? And I, I seem to remember one particular story related involving the practitioner daydreaming during the alpha theta session about planting a garden. <laughs> remember that one? Yep. Yep. And uh, the the woman was thinking about what kind of, you know, about planting, you know, corn and tomatoes and whatever, what she was going to do when she got home. And then the woman who was actually experiencing the session came out of the session saying, well, you know, it was the strangest thing. I was getting these images of tomato seeds and, you know, little seed packets of all these different kinds of vegetables and things. She said, I have no idea what that means.
6: Well, it's very interesting. Yes. And and that's a standard thing in alpha-theta training. So as a clinician, you have to be very careful about your psychological hygiene during the period of running your client because you have to be in a state that's favorable for your client because it's very natural for humans to have a strong telepathic contact with each other, and the alpha-theta certainly enhances it. And and so that's a very powerful aspect of it.
2: Well, Julian, this has been a really rare treat for me to reconnect with you and your work and certainly a rich opportunity for my listeners to learn about Alpha Theta work from your unique perspective. I I really hope you won't be a stranger to this show and that you'll come back again to share with us more what you're doing. I I would like to actually spend a whole hour at some point. Uh, You're a fascinating guy and a real asset to the field, so thanks so much for being here.
6: And, Nora, I'd like to appreciate you for what you're doing both in dietary terms and also, also the breadth of your show. I think what you're doing is just great.
2: Oh, thank you, Julian. Thank you so much. Um, and, and for the rest of you, I, I would like to invite you all to tune in to Primal Body, Primal Mind next week when we take on the subject of vegetarianism and explore a few of the pitfalls associated with this diet and lifestyle choice. Now, Joining me for the first half of the show will be one of the great influences of my nutritional perspective and certainly one of the most important voices in the field of traditional diets naturopathic doctor extraordinaire and author of traditional foods are your best medicine dr ron f schmidt this show is one you may never forget and certainly one you're not going to want to miss and in the second half of the hour i'm going to be answering your questions about diet health and neurofeedback on the air so think of some questions you'd like and if you'd like to email me your questions or try to call the show next week i will try to answer your questions on the air until then, remember, if it wouldn't look like food to someone wandering around 40,000 years ago with a loincloth and a spear, it's not food for you now either. This is Norik at Gaudis, and you've been listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. I would like to thank my sponsors, the EEG Institute, offering the most trusted and respected source of information and training for neurofeedback, truly world leaders in the field. You can reach the EEG Institute at www.eeginfo.com or at 818-456-5965. I would also like to thank the Nutritional Therapy Association, the NTA, for their generous sponsorship The NTA is the best, most trustworthy and reliable source of foundational nutritional education and nutritional therapist training here in the U.S. and possibly the known universe. I just can't say enough good things about this organization. You can find the Nutritional Therapy Association at www.nutritionaltherapy.com or you can call 1-800-918-9798. That's 1-800-918-9798. Tell Marcy Nora sent you. Thanks, too, to Biotics Northwest, the source for exceptional healthcare practitioner quality supplements for every health professional. You can reach them at www.bioticsnorthwest.com or at 1-800-636-6913. Also, be sure to visit my website at www.primalbody-primalmind.com where you can also get my book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, Empower Your Health, Your Total Health, The Way Evolution Intended and Didn't.
1: Thanks again for listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, hosted by Nora Gedgaudis. Come back for another great program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And have a great week.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com.